Episode number 48 of Mitch Unfiltered, available everywhere where podcasts are heard, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. We want you to subscribe, listen each week, hopefully write a review on Apple or throw us a rating, a five-star rating, as Jason D. Hamilton would say. And as most of you know, two full shows now every week of Mitch Unfiltered. You got the Monday one for everyone, and then the Thursday show, which is a second full show for patrons of Mitch Unfiltered. Become a patron for as low as $5 a month by going to our website, MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking become a patron. Bagel Boss, how can I help you? Is this the famous Bagel Boss? Yes, it is. Oh, this is Mitch from Mitch Unfiltered all the way out here in Seattle on our podcast. How are you? Good. How is it? How's business been since uh, our smallish friend came to town? It's been pretty busy. We've gotten a lot of uh, audiences from and customers calling about and talking about our our friend. Is everybody getting a good giggle out of it, or are we worried for him? Um, there's some people that are a little bit worried, and some people who are um, getting a giggle and <laughs> saying, "Okay." Did you? And they, you know, they saw the video and they they laughed a little bit. Did you get a? Were you working there at the time, or were you not? I was on? not working at the time. Oh, do you wish that you were working there at the time? I wish I was working there just so I could say I was there, but not at the time because it, it was a little scary. Uh-huh. You know, you never know what people could do. What did your uh, What did your coworkers say that were there at the time? What What's been the scuttlebutt? Um, they said it was a little bit scary because they were just afraid that he was gonna, you know, lunch over the counter and um, get violent with our coworkers, but thank God our, one of our customers stepped in. Did anybody recognize him? Is he a regular customer? And, and what, did, what did he order? Well, I mean, no, one's, no one's talking about that little bag that our, our smallish friend ordered. What, what was in that little bag? I think he ordered an egg sandwich or something like that. Yeah. I, from what I've heard, and then I don't know if anyone recognized him. I mean, we have so many people coming throughout the day, you know, we can't really recognize everyone. Right. Did you uh, really give away mini bagels the next day? Is that true? Yes, it was. How we many? Did give out mini bagels. How many, how many mini bagels did you give out the next day? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I, could, I couldn't tell you. Was it mobbed? Was it, was it crowded? Did people come in? Yeah, people were, like, out the door. Yeah. What, so... What was his, uh, you know, you, everybody has seen the video. We out here in Seattle have seen the video. Everybody has seen the video. I think like 30 million people have seen the video. But what no one knows is what set him off? What is it that he think happened that got him all angry and in knots? Um, from what I've heard, because I wasn't there that day, um, one of our employees just smiled at him, and I guess he took it the wrong way. Um, they said they were laughing, but we're laughing here all day. We're making, you know, making jokes behind the counter. It was 9 a.m., so, you know, we're making jokes. We, we, she's probably here since 7, so, you know, it wasn't. We were two hours into our work day. And so, no, girl, and we, yeah, so nobody was making jokes at his expense, right? No one would do that. No, we were probably joking about each other and, you know, <laughs> teasing each other and saying, you know, you, you work, you're going too slow or something like that because we do it all day long. What is your name? I'm Maria. Maria, so my question is, and I'm Mitch, my question is, and what our audience wants to know is, do you think that his real problem getting dates is his size, or do you think it's his personality that's the bigger problem? (laughs) 
don't think it's his size. I think he's got a lot of stuff going on, and I wish him all the best of luck, but it has nothing to do with his size, I don't think. All right. Well, I'm glad that everything is settled down, and I'm glad that everybody's having a little giggle. I hope everything's well with him, certainly, and uh, everybody's good in your uh, in your staff. So thanks for joining us for a few moments. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. And with that call to the now infamous bagel boss in Bay Shore, New York, for those of you that have seen the video, episode 48 is just about underway. And there is rumor, there is speculation that the man who tackled the little fella was none other than Brian Wheeler, who is in Bay Shore, New York, for a couple of bagels. Uh, yeah, nobody's going to disrupt my bagel experience, that's for sure. <laughs> Eddie, no truth to the rumor that that was you who knocked the guy down. How'd you like that tackle? Pretty easy tackle to tackle a guy. I think the guy, the tackler, had to be about six feet. And, the, the of course, the little fellow was nothing more than five feet. Not a bad tackle, right, Wheels? No, in fact, I think uh, the... Uh, the guy that got tackled had the typical uh, little man complex. I think he, uh, he felt he was, if he was louder than everybody, he would uh, somehow be dominant and everybody would be afraid of him. Uh, but he found out that at least one person in the room was not uh, very afraid of him. And uh, the ending was not so positive for him, although I thought he got off to a good start. The people were a little, a little intimidated. But uh, the ending will not be one that he'll remember fondly. Do you have any pearls of wisdom for him? You have any tips? Maybe dating tips? You any advice that you'd like to give the little fella? <laughs> well, I think uh, I think I think if you if you have trouble in a bagel shop uh, getting pleased, I think that's a bad sign for uh, <laughs> being able to uh, to uh, you know get a woman out on a date and and do all the right things and take her to the right places that will be memorable. Because uh, if you get that upset in a bagel shop, I'm thinking that uh, uh, maybe some anger management is right. uh, is in order because that's a, that's a definite issue. And also, um, you know, maybe some delusional uh, training as well because clearly <laughs> he felt that uh, just by saying to somebody, you know, I'll take you on, come on, you want to step outside, uh, <laughs> that, that not everybody is going to say, well, okay, that's not a bad, that's not a bad suggestion. You know? So um, I remember a talk show experience in, uh, in Sacramento as a matter of fact, that I got mad at a guy because he was accusing me of being a, a, a shill for the Kings franchise. And um, I said, now, if you were right here saying that, and then he, and I don't know why I did that, but he called back, actually, and asked the producer, is he serious? Does he want me to come down there? Because I will. And then, unfortunately, the producer said, no, I think he was just kind of saying that for effect. So, thankfully, I didn't get uh, you know involved in something that who knows what would have happened. Because uh, these days, you don't know what uh, people are, are able to do and what they're carrying with them in situations like that. So, I think uh, discretion the better part of valor in most situations. You know what I, I said to the lady who picked up the phone from the bagel boss? You know, on a list of things things that are getting in the way of him getting a date and having a girlfriend. I think his height is way, is way down the list. Yes, <laughs> Most people would say that would be, you know, you start off with a, with a, with a, with a, uh, a you know, a detriment. But uh, I think in this case, uh, uh, maybe maybe that's something that people notice right away, but there would be quickly other things that would uh, probably limit his uh, yeah. choices for a good uh, good date out. But uh, you know, I tend to wonder though, and this is maybe me being a conspiracy theorist. I tend to wonder was any of this a publicity stunt possibly yeah. to to get some maybe you know maybe maybe the, the, the you know the chills have been a little slow at the uh, at the bagel shop. We got to think of something to get some yeah. some better publicity. Well, we don't really have enough money for advertising, yeah. but could we do something that would get to the attention of folks? You know. 
know, it doesn't take much on Twitter these days to, to get things uh, out there on video. Maybe could we become infamous that maybe will allow us to become famous down the road? And if so, it was a clever publicity stunt that uh, appears to have worked in, in that respect. So I think this bagel shop probably, I know a lot more people know the name of it than they ever did, you know, before. So so if it wasn't intentional, it, uh, it certainly, I think, will benefit them in the long run. There are a lot of people who agree with you. There's another video of this same man that had a little problem in a 7-Eleven uh, a while ago, there's a lot of people that think that maybe they were trying to sell bagels. So maybe you're right. And by the way, for those people who are listening to this and have not seen, I'm assuming most, I mean like 40 million people have watched this video on social media. If you haven't, you can go to the fairly new Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page because I, I post all my favorite videos like like the one. Now, I don't know that you've seen this because I didn't send this to you via text there, Wheels, but you'll love it. If you haven't, you got to go see it. Have you seen the little boy visit the mound in a Kalamazoo baseball game? Have you seen that no, one yet? No, I don't yet? think I have. Oh. No, I have not seen that one. Oh, wait till you see this little guy. This guy can't be more than four years old. Somebody taught him how a manager walks to the mound, and he went out in the middle of a game, <laughs> called timeout, and you're a baseball fan. Go to the Mitch Unfiltered uh, Facebook page, and you'll see it. He calls timeout. He walks out like he's pissed to the mound. He demands the ball from the pitcher. It's, a, it's, a cl- it's an absolute classic. Anyway, I want everybody to know that we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon evening a little bit earlier than normal so that we are respectful to the very (laughs) serious and vital evening plans that our friend brian wheeler who's giggling in the background has for this evening would you like to share with us why we had to reschedule the shaping of episode 48 what it is that's so important in your world that we needed to go early tonight well, I appreciate uh, your willingness to be uh, flexible. I, I, you know, if I was just watching this uh, on my own, I would uh, tape uh, a pay-per-view. Actually, I have access to the We're WWE back. Network. Hold on a second. We're back to taping again. Didn't we go through, through this on episode 47? <laughs> it's it's record. We don't no, Nobody tapes anymore. Okay, Wheels? <laughs> Well, how do you say that then? What is, what is the proper uh, new record. term? Record. Record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to send to my DVR, yeah. um, uh, you know, the, the pay-per-view that the WWE is holding today. But I also have access to the WWE Network, uh, nine ninety-five a month, uh, and free to new customers, by the way, is the way they, 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 uh, they uh, really promote it. And I could really watch the pay-per-view anytime, but... A friend wanted to come over and uh, and watch it, so uh, basically then I was committed to watching it as it uh, took place live at uh, 4 What are we talking about now? What are we talking about? The WEE, what, WWE what? WWE, yes, what? World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah, what is uh, this? The Extreme Rules pay-per-view, that means anything goes. Oh. Anything goes. I mean, I know you think that a lot of times wrestling, pretty much anything goes anyway, but there are no rules. Nothing, I mean, you almost don't need the referees for this particular card, so it's going to be uh, pretty much... Uh, a lot of, uh, no. lot of brawling, a lot right. of uh, you know, a lot of a lot of violence, but uh, but in a good sense. Is and, the ba- uh, is the some... is the little bagel guy going to be fighting in the? <laughs> <laughs> well, WWE has been known to seize opportunities <laughs> of publicity, so so All who right. knows if they may uh, right. may try to go that route? Uh, I wouldn't be, right, this wouldn't is be for surprised. You. This is for you, Wheels. What I'm about to do is for you. Okay. Even though okay. the people are listening to this on the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, episode 48, I'm going to do this especially for you. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm taking Drew Gulak in the first match. 
I'm going. I'm going. Alistair Black over uh, Cesaro in the second match in the SmackDown tag team. I really had a trouble. I really had problems coming up with a winner. I'm going. Yeah, Dan- it's a three way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, go- I'm going Daniel Daniel Bryan and Rowan to retain mm-hmm. the title. Uh, heavy Machinery is Heavy Machinery in the same. Uh, yeah, they're in the same thing. I'm, they're in that bout. Yeah. yeah, they're in about. They're kind of a new tag team. They're yeah. kind of giving them a little push, but yeah. may not be ready for this kind of limelight. Now I, the, I'm thinking. Now the Raw tag team. That's going to be a hell of a, a brouhaha. Uh, I'm going to go with the Usos to win the title there. <laughs> uh, SmackDown Women's Championship. I didn't even know that. We're, all right, let's do. Uh, let, let's let's go with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross to win the title. Mm, yeah. uh, and then I'm going Braun Strowman in uh, one fight in the United States Championship, Ricochet versus AJ Spoy. That Ricochet, Ricochet and AJ Styles, they just don't like one another. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go I'll go with Ricochet on that one. So that's, they're my picks. They're my picks for the, now you don't even have now to watch they, it. <laughs> don't they list the, uh, the big main events of uh, Shane McMahon and, uh, and, uh, uh, you don't even Drew know, McIntyre. You don't even know who's fighting. Uh, no, I, Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre against uh, against uh, the Undertaker, yes, making yes. a rare appearance. Yes, and uh, and I'm, Roman Reigns. Yes, I'm going with Roman Reigns and the Undertaker to win that fight. Yes. You know, oddly enough, we're not really following uh, the the sport that closely. A lot of those predictions could very well be true. <laughs> Did you know you can bet on the WWE? Did you know that? The, no. The, I don't know where exactly, but you can. Can we go to and, Reno uh, and run into a uh, a good a good dealer of, of blackjack and uh, and put yeah, a few wages on WWE? <laughs> in fact, many many people when they're trying to figure out how the matches are going to go, they'll take a look at the odds and see how they change going into. And I, it's hard for me to believe you can actually bet. On things that are predetermined, at least by some, uh, they feel they're predetermined. Predetermined. But on... Predetermined. Yeah, I know. Did it's, you it's, say... it's, it's a shock to some. <laughs> it's a shock to some to say that. <laughs> that's, that's when Mr. McMahon decided that we're just going to come right out and say this is entertainment, and he doesn't like the word wrestling anymore, even though it's uh, part of the okay. part of the name. But uh, but he 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 wants people to say these are sports entertainers, not not wrestlers. So All right. it's a whole different category. All right. Well, we'll get you off the uh, the line in time for you to enjoy your WWE pay per view. How much did you pay for this? To to uh, how much did well, you? Again, I, yeah. See, so like if I if I watched it on the WWE Network, I have a subscription, but that's in one room of the apartment where there's a little <laughs> more space to entertain a friend. Yeah. I actually bought the pay per view, even much? though I could watch it. How so much? Fifty four ninety nine. Fifty four ninety nine. All right. I'll, Typical I'll, to to your 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 heavyweight uh, boxing fight, about right. similar price, maybe a little less. Now, does the friend who comes in does he chip in for the fifty four ninety nine, or does he is he a freeloader? Does he bring in some some French <laughs> might, fries uh, or something? <laughs> he might. He might chip in a little bit. We might be uh, ordering out for uh, for a uh, for a food delivery, so he would probably chip in for that. Right. But uh, we kind of rotate these things. He, he's invited me to his his place as well, so you know, so it's a kind of a kind of a mutual thing where you know whoever whoever's hosting kind of picks up the the freight on the cost of the pay per view. All right. Before we begin, because we haven't begun yet, we're just warming up. These are our warm up pitches in the bullpen. Wheels and I are warming up for episode forty eight. Uh, are you a fantasy football league player or not? I don't know that I know this after all these years. Do you play fantasy yeah, football? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've gone hot and cold with being involved in in leagues, but uh, but I have been in one uh, the last uh, the last few years. So okay. yes, I would say I'm back on to being uh, involved. So we have here on Mitch Unfiltered decided to do our first ever Mitch Unfantasy Mitch Unfiltered Fantasy Football Draft. We're gonna do a oh. we're gonna do a big dinner at Daniel's on September the third. I've announced this uh, to the patrons. I've announced it on Twitter. 
the reservations right now are available to patrons only for those of our listeners that are patrons, but we are close to a sellout and any spots that I have left, I'm going to open up shortly to everybody who's listening to this episode and and further episodes. So I do want to mention that September the 3rd, that's a Tuesday night before the big opening weekend of the National Football League, we're going to do a 12-team Fantasy Football League, Mitch Unfiltered Fantasy Football League at Daniels for the Draft. I'm going to have a team and each table wheels. There'll be 12 tables for people to to make a reservation to be with us. There'll be 12 tables, 12 teams. And it costs $125 plus tax and gratuity per person. And what you get for that at Daniel's Broiler is you get the beer and the wine and the appetizers and the steaks and the salmon and the salads and the garlic mashed potatoes and the veggies and the dessert. You get the draft. I'll do some Q&A. There'll be some prizes for the winner of the Fantasy Football League. So it's a big night that we've packaged all together for September the 3rd. It is available to patrons right now to make reservations. And then next week... Uh, I'll open it up. Any 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 spots that are left, I'll open it up to everybody. If we fill up really quickly, which I think I expect to do, we may we may do a second night and do two leagues and two nights at Daniel's Broiler. Anybody who's listening right now who is not a patron that would like to be with us and be a part of our first ever fantasy league, you can send me an email straight to me directly to Mitch at Mitch Unfiltered if you wanted me to put you down on the wait list or when we open it up to everybody else, I'll put your name in. Just send me a note, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and tell me who you are, how many people you need, and I'll get you I'll get you in or I'll try to get you into the first ever unfiltered fantasy football league. What do you think about that? The first ever Mitch unfiltered fantasy football league wheels. Well, I think, uh, you know, just like uh, great concerts will come to an area and then uh, initially the promoter will uh, just uh, secure one date. uh, But then when he sees the ticket demand, (laughs) then very often has to open up a second date. It sounds like uh, that is very likely to happen here. Uh, I hope so. But now did I hear you say that every table of every team has to have 12 owners i mean because it's a table of 12 and and each table gets a team or well it's going to be they're going to than... they're going to be table of 10 10 people at each table there'll be 12 tables 12 tables right? right you can bring as many or as few as you'd like if you bring a couple or two or three or four then we'll match you with others and everybody at the table will will have a team and it'll be a, a group effort if you want to buy a full table yourself and bring 10 people and own the team yourself with just your friends you can do it that way as well so it's going to be a mixture okay. we're going to introduce people to one another we're going to have a a nice big kind of unfiltered gathering for a fantasy football league how about that is that labor day uh, labor day tuesday it's the tuesday after labor day correct okay the Very first nice. game of the nfl season is that thursday night so we're doing it tuesday night september the 3rd a straight fantasy draft at Daniels. And I want to tell everybody that on episode 48 with Wheels, not only do you get Wheels, and Wheels has some news, and we're going to talk to Wheels about some tough tough news that we got over the week. We've got a lot of great guests as well on episode 48. The return of Jason Lock and Fora talking about a number of NFL issues, including the league, the owners wanting to go to an 18-game schedule and season. I'll talk to Wheels about that as well. There's a Houston Rockets blogger, Wheels, that tweeted that if Russell Westbrook gets traded to the Houston Rockets, he will tattoo his MVP triple-double stats on his face. (laughs) Does he have to do the face? I mean, isn't it enough to just put it on your leg? I mean, mean, why do you got to go that far? 
because this is, and I don't, and you can be the biggest Russell Westbrook fan in, around, but I just don't think that uh, that's worth it to uh, to take his uh, the, his the support of him to that level because it's going to be this is a lifetime commitment that this blogger is making, and I don't really he doesn't really have to. I mean, I think anybody would have been impressed if he would just put it on an arm. I mean, did you have to put it on the face? Well, I mean, he's got- uh, I mean, it's it's really again, this is one of those things I think. I just can sense regret after it's after it's over when it's going to be too late to do anything. I think you might be surprised that he doesn't have any regret. You'll listen to the interview and you'll and <laughs> you'll might be right. and, you, and you'll uh, judge for yourself. So we got Jason Locken for the Houston Rockets blogger who now has to tattoo Russell Westbrook's stats on his face, and the AP tennis writer Howard Fendrich will uh, join us from London to react to a great couple of weeks at Wimbledon. And I remind all of you, we have four incredible partners that make Mitch Unfiltered possible, and I ask that you find ways to support them. Homegrown in the Northwest, Zeke's Pizza, 17 locations, Bothell to Tacoma, whether it's a night out watching sports or a lazy evening staying in where you can order to your door at Zeke'sPizza.com, you can count on this Northwest staple and supporter of all that's good about our region, Zeke's Pizza. Daniels Broiler, the September the 3rd host of our first ever Mitch Unfiltered Fantasy Football League, four locations that simply create the best meal and evening you'll find in the Northwest. Leshy, South Lake Union, Bellevue Place, and their newest jewel, downtown Seattle in the Hyatt Regency, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team. 30-year fixed rates are at a two-year low, and this is an opportunity for everyone to save money, all the homeowners out there to save money. At the very least, call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and find out if there's money to be saved. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. The Financial Times named him one of the top financial advisors in 2018. Offices in Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley. Of course, the podcast, the Evergreen Exchange. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Episode 48 begins now unfiltered Kawhi Leonard they signed him instead of a four-year deal all he wanted was a two-year and an option year a third year that's the player's option so he can declare free agency which he will he will unless he is like a beaten up guy who can't get a job anywhere else and he'll just take the big money the the third year otherwise he's either even if he wants to stay in in Los Angeles he's going to opt out and sign a big max max deal and if he doesn't want to be in LA he'll opt out and go somewhere else so all of that, it turns out, they've got two years on both guys. Two years. And so they either have to win it in those two years or they've got to be a really great place to work for two years that's going to make make those two guys. I, I can just imagine if those two guys walk out the door in two years from now after all that the Clippers did, I'm just – I can see – given away five first-round draft choices, which is what they did. Five first-round draft choices. Okay, I got five years of these guys in their prime. They've got two. Unfiltered. Joe Buck will never win a who's the most likable. Brought. He, it is unbelievable, the hatred, the vitriol. I mean, it is, 
it is really, really intense out there. If you watch social media, so I asked, I asked people, pompous, entitled, got the job because his father was Jack Buck. He's boring. He's got no personality. But then he takes sides and he likes the Dallas Cowboys and he and Troy Aikman root for teams, but he's got no personality, but he's biased. And I asked, what is it? And it's just, I got this litany. People hate Joe Buck. And I, I will say this. I think he's pretty – I mean, it's not like I search out Joe Buck. I don't want to – it's not like I, oh, my God, I hope Joe Buck's calling this game. But when I listen to Joe Buck, especially do a baseball game, I think he's pretty solid. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 48 with my friend Brian Wheeler. We've got to present the options. You're going to have to name the show. They're already pissed at you for 47 that you went. Really? You, you went Jack Morris over Tom Jack Glavin. Morris, yeah. yeah, you shouldn't have done that. People think you should have yeah. gotten Glavin over Morris, but you're 0 for 1. So we'll give you a chance to do <laughs> episode 48. We'll tell you who those possibilities are in a minute. Uh, I do want to tell everybody as we begin episode 48 with Brian Wheeler. The final leg of the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call. Your British Open picks. Those of you that are playing this contest because someone in their guest is coming with me to Pebble Beach in a couple of weeks' time. We've got a four-way tie for first place, but I've been told that there are a lot, many, many more people who could actually win this thing if you pick the British Open correctly. Get your picks in now for the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call and the British Open. Make sure you get your pick in for the British Open before Thursday. All right, Wheels, 48s. Can you think of any 48s off the top of your head? Well, uh, I remember uh, when I was in Chicago and uh, the Cubs were not uh, quite the team they are today, that uh, the guy that you could, could kind of depend on every fifth day, uh-huh. um, didn't, it really had an, he really had an unorthodox delivery and uh-huh. unfortunately wasn't on a lot of very good Cubs teams, but uh, had, had a very interesting wind-up, had yep. an interesting physique. Yep. But uh, Rick, Rick Russell, I yes. think, is somebody that comes to mind immediately. And he's on the list. Well, That's there you good. Go. Very good. And we didn't even we, we didn't even do this in advance. I didn't even. Uh, this is great. This is great. Yes, he's on the list. Uh, okay, good. You have any other forty eights? Hmm. Let's see. Um, it's not a it's not a very popular number, I'm guessing. But um, and so I think there's somewhat and somewhat uh, maybe not a lot of distinguished. Uh, okay. Athletes. I'll that, help you that, out. That let me let me help you out. Now that okay. you, now you now that you screwed up Jack Morris over Tom Glavin, let me help you out. <laughs> Okay, uh, if you want Seattle area 48s, you're not going to get anything very good. You got Paul Abbott who wore 48 for the Mariners. Do you remember Lee Guterman who used to come out the left-handed uh, reliever for the Mariners? He wore 48 for a while. Yeah, uh, one very good. Yeah, Seattle Seahawk Keith Simpson wore 48. He's probably the best Seahawk to wear 48. There was a guy on the University of Washington national championship football team named Donald Jones that wore number 48. So that's the best of the locals. Nobody there is going to win any awards. And then the national ones, you mentioned Rick Russell. Here's a couple of more for you to chew on. Moose Johnston, Daryl Moose Johnston in the NFL Dallas Cowboys fame. Where did he go to college? Mm -hmm. Where did he go to college, Wheels? Uh, Syracuse? No, I don't know. He went with me. He went with me to Syracuse, one year older than me. Yep, graduated the year before me. I think he is in the class of 88. And and your careers have paralleled one another all all the way through since then. (laughs) Well, yeah, kind of, sort of. I have a neck. He doesn't. Uh, (laughs) Tori Hunter. 
War number oh, 48. Good name. Very, very yeah. good player. All-star caliber player. Great defensive center fielder for both the, what, the Twins and the Angels. He wore 48. And then if you want to go off the board, how about the race car driver Jimmy Johnson, mm. who drove car number 48 all the way, are you ready for this, for 85 career victories. And I think I'm up to date on that. I'm not a car racing guy. But Jimmy Johnson has 85 career NASCAR victories in the car, numbered 48. So there you go. You got Paul Abbott, Lee Guterman, Keith Simpson, Donald Jones, Rick Russell, Moose Johnston, Tory Hunter, and Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver. You make your decision at the end of the show. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I, uh, I've got some thoughts on it. But so, so we're a little liberal in the interpretation. So in terms of a race car driver, they don't actually – do they have their number on their um, on their gear that they're wearing in the car, or is it just the car that is designated? The car, as, it, as the car works. The car is working. Okay. He's okay. eligible right. because the car has forty eight. He might have forty eight like tattooed under his lip, but I, I don't I don't know if he does or doesn't. I well, know his face. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a popular place more than we know. <laughs> That's right. So you got to decide at the end of the show, at the end of episode 48, who we're naming the... Okay. The, all right, so you can let that simmer a little bit. Before we move any any further, we have to talk a little bit about what's going on in your world, because I know it was a very difficult week, a very emotional week. You have been the uh, the voice of the Tor- Portland Trailblazers, the play-by-play voice of the Portland Trailblazers for how long? 21 years, is that right? 21 years, yeah. 21 years. And there was an announcement made by the team that you guys are not going to be partners in the year 2019 and 20. Pick up the story. You want to fill in the blanks? What What's the story? And what, that's left us, all of us, very sad because everybody knows, uh, anybody who's listened to Brian Wheeler, and I've been sending out tweets for people to listen, knows that Brian Wheeler is one of, if not the best, radio play-by-play man in the NBA. So uh, pick up the story from there, if you would. Yeah, the, the frustrating thing, obviously, is that uh, once I can get to uh, – a position uh, at courtside or wherever the broadcast location would be to call a game. Uh, nobody has any uh, any any problems with uh, the way the descriptions are done and uh, and anything that, that is related to the actual game broadcast. But uh, I think there's some concerns about, um, and I have some as well about uh, you know my health uh, being limiting in some respects. Uh, and uh, you know we've tried different things over the last couple of years. It was something that required some surgery last year that is not a problem anymore but I think uh, there's still some some things that need to be addressed and I think there was some concern that maybe the effort to try to get through an NBA season the grind of that and uh, everything affiliated with uh, with being the voice of a team that that maybe was limiting uh, the progress that I could and maybe should be making um, I remember I remember uh, the great Frank Layden uh, before he started his weight loss effort you know, for many years, he would give uh, speeches and, and part of his humor. Uh, Graham, he was uh, he spoke one time. I got him to speak at my alma mater, Loyola Chicago, at a, at a tip-off luncheon before the start of a basketball season. And he did 45 minutes that was as good as any stand-up comedian I've ever heard. But a lot of his humor was based on his weight. And, uh, you know, he used to say, hey, when I was mad at the Jazz, they used to, you know, make them run laps around me. You know I mean? And he'd say, and he'd say, <laughs> so he said, he'd say, now, I, t- I tend to think I have a beautiful body. If I went to it, if, if I went to India, they'd worship this body, you know. So so he had great jokes that played into it and, and seemingly had a good, uh, you know, good uh, feeling about uh, where he was at weight-wise. But 
John McSherry, the baseball umpire that passed away years ago, was a friend of Layden's, and another friend of his said, Frank, you know, think about it. How many people in their 60s do we know that are overweight? And uh, it kind of shook Frank a little bit, and, and he uh, went on a weight loss campaign, and, uh, and he said uh, the first time he tried to walk, he got back in his car afterwards to gauge how far he went, and he went a third of a mile. That's all he could do. Uh, but by the time he had uh, done all his uh, uh, losing of weight and getting into shape, he was uh, doing with his wife two to four miles a day. And I know he's kept his weight off all these years. So, so kind of in a similar vein, uh, me being, you know, latter stages of my fifties, uh, I started thinking about, you know, this is something that I battled off and on for, you know, for quite a few years. I've had a bad knee that needs to be replaced, uh, which has been some of the reasons why weight has been an issue. But, um, you know, it's something that. Really, you know, really, so one way or the one way or the other, I think need to get a handle on in a permanent way. I've been a great weight loser in my life, in my life, not necessarily a great weight maintainer. So I think now's the time to make sure that uh, that can that can be taken care of. And then, you know, I think everybody seems to feel that, you know, that uh, there'll be a play-by-play microphone that I can, you know, that I can get behind at some point in the future. But for right now, uh, the priority should be getting my health. Uh, where it needs to be. So, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a tough conclusion to come to yeah. uh, when you have enjoyed and, and really had this be a part of your life every fall and winter and even into the spring for 21 years. But but I think uh, when I thought about it and tried to be sensible about it, it made uh, it made uh, a perfect, uh, you know, perfect, perfectly logical conclusion that uh, health is really where I need to focus my efforts right now. Well, Wheels, you know, I love you. And there's no question that I would ask without the most sincere amount of respect. So what you're saying is that you're going to take the next year, you're going to be away from an NBA microphone and you're going to try to get healthy, try to get healthy again. Um, do you have confidence? I know that you've been around this this block before. That's the first question. What can you do to get healthy and get healthier and get into a position where you can entertain us all as you have for so many years? That's number one. And number two, uh, Wheels, is there a chance... Is the door left open that when you do come back healthier, that that could be with the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah, and I guess, you know, we, we, we obviously can't predict the future. I guess anything is, is possible. Uh, certainly we part on, um, you know, on, on very favorable uh, terms. And, uh, you know, I'm still going to be in the city and still we'll try to get out to games and stay close to the team in whatever way I can. Obviously won't be as close as, as traveling with them and being with them every day uh, calling the games. But, I'll still obviously care a lot about what happens to them and still be rooting for them. And, uh, you know, I'll be a blazer at heart until when and if I, you know, work for another organization. But uh, uh, so I think anything's possible for the future. But um, I think right now everybody just feels that I shouldn't worry so much about, um, you know, what the broadcast future would be just to make sure that I have a future and that's a positive one and a healthy one by getting into uh, the proper shape. And so, yeah, I mean, and I I don't uh, blame anybody who's followed, uh, you know, my attempts to to get – my weight under control over over the years to say, well, you know, what's going to be different this time? And, you know, I've tried to kind of put a little, you know, health team together and, you know, personal chef, personal trainer, um, and uh, doing some things that will hopefully, um, you know, make some some of the choices easier for me. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, the more I do it, I, I realize it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's as much an emotional and a mental thing as it is a physical one. And so, uh, from that standpoint. 
always try to address, you know, were there trauma situations earlier in life that somehow have, you know, turned to food for comfort over the years. I mean, I think it's very possible. So, so I try to investigate those kind of things as well. So uh, taking a holistic approach to everything and, and looking at it from all angles and, and trying to come up with a comprehensive uh, plan and, uh, and, a, and a mode of attack to, you know, to hopefully get this uh, under control once and for all. And I think also if once I can get some weight down just initially, it'll allow me to go have a knee replacement. And then I think that would, that would provide me with a lot of ability to be more mobile than I've been. And because uh, right now it's just a bone on bone knee that has no cartilage and not doing me any good. So, so if I can get back to having a knee that's a lot more sound, then it stands a reason I can go back to being a little more active than I've been. And I think that's going to help things as well. So, so fingers crossed prayers uh, being lifted and hopefully uh, everything that is uh, in the plan of attack this time with no, reason to feel that there are other other distractions or other requirements uh, in my life essentially this this will take priority and and hopefully it's something that i can uh, master and manage and uh, and conquer once and for all i want to go back to one thing that you said and then we'll get off of this subject uh, this is the voice of brian wheeler a longtime friend 25 years and really one of the great voices in the nba it was announced this past week that brian would not be calling portland trailblazers games in 1920 and you missed, of course, a lot of games this past year with some leave of absences and some road trips that you didn't take. And and we are all, all of us that remember you here fondly, and even people now that are listening that have no idea who Brian Wheeler is. They aren't a Portland Trailblazer fan. They don't remember you when you were here in Seattle. I can't imagine that there isn't anybody who's cheering for you to get better, first and foremost, for your health. And and second of all, for uh, for selfish reasons, we want to be entertained by Brian Wheeler, you talked about the uh, the emotional part of this and the counseling part of this. I know, and I don't know how much you have said publicly. I know your story because you and I are such good friends. How much of this eating disorder do you think is about uh, some of the tough tough upbringing that you had? Some of the real cruel, unfair upbringing that you had, Brian. Well, I, I know that uh, you know uh, when my mother. Uh, that raised me, um, of course, was adopted at birth. When she remarried after my dad had passed away, she ended up remarrying and uh, married my dad's brother, my uncle, whose wife had passed away a year before my dad did. And that prompted a move from Los Angeles to Chicago. And uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away uh, sophomore year of college. My stepfather, former uncle, and I had kind of a, you know, an uneasy relationship from the beginning. Uh, but, uh, once my my mom was a good referee when she was around, but once she passed away of stomach cancer, uh, the referee wasn't there anymore, and so so we started to have some definite uh, issues with um, with our relationship, and and I think some of it involved food. I mean, I do remember the uh, I would try to eat at home and try to eat as healthy as I could, but one day I opened a bread drawer and I saw roaches, and I went to uh, my stepfather and said, "Hey, we've got roaches. Got to call an exterminator." And he said, "Not bothering me." And so I started eating out a little more often, taking my food home and going up to my bedroom. And one day I'm in my bedroom and I see something real fast run across the room. And I said, oh, that's not what I think it is. And, and I looked behind a desk and it was a mouse. And uh, I went down and I said, now we got mice. And he said, no, not bother me. So I made a call to Orkin, who was probably the, the oddest phone call they'd ever had. I said, I need you to come take care of a mouse problem. They said, yes, sir. How big is the house? And I said, no, no, no. One bedroom. I need to take care of my bedroom. And they said, sir, you understand the mice are going to go to other, other areas of the house? I know, but I just need to know that my bedroom will be will be devoid of mice. So for $125, they came out and exterminated my bedroom. So, But I think that a lot of the, you know, the relationship with food, um, when trying to do it the healthy way, 
kind of got me into more fast food eating, more late night eating, uh, less preparation eating, and I think those circumstances kind of created a little momentum in a negative way. And pretty much for a year after that, um, and and almost since then, uh, there have been various efforts to to lose weight and always kind of and kind of being a challenge from from that yeah. point. So yeah. so I think that is part of. You know that that's that's part of the emotional part of it, and trying to break habits and uh, and so forth. So not easy, obviously. The older you get, those habits get a little more entrenched. But uh, but I, I just I, I keep having confidence that if I if I felt if I felt I was destined to be this way, um, that I would I would I wouldn't keep trying to find solutions. So I keep thinking that's a good sign, and and I just hope that uh, this time maybe the solution will be the the one that really lasts. Your uncle, your stepfather, was a very very evil man, Brian. Yes. He yes, was I would a very, agree. very evil man, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, and it has not been easy for you. Uh, it hasn't been easy for your friends to see and to hear. And so uh, with a tear in my eye, and I think you probably could hear it in my voice, uh, I, I root for you. I cheer for you. No one's a better guy than you, and no one deserves happiness more than Brian Wheeler. And from a selfish standpoint, Portland Trailblazers fans or NBA fans, no matter what city you end up, uh, they are deserving of hearing one of the great voices in the NBA. So all my blessings and all my love to you about that. Subject. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, and to, to end this on a little bit of a humorous note, uh, to show you what kind of a, a logic, a logical perspective that my stepfather had. Among the arguments we would have, he had just some crazy opinions about things. And one of them, they had a cat uh, that was in the in the household before I got there. And it was a male cat. And uh, one day I... I uh, asked my stepbrother, um, I said, where's Flash? And uh, he said, I don't know. And my stepfather heard me ask the question and said, she's around here somewhere. And I said, she? And then he said, yeah, I had that operation. I said, she? I said, it wasn't a sex change. I said, it just, it had the operation, so it's neutered. It can't, it can't produce kittens. But it's not a she now. Oh, yeah, it's a she. It's a she. And I, I went to the dictionary. I produced the definition of neutered. And I said, this time, he's got to say he was wrong. And he was like Fonzie in Happy Days. Uh, yeah. For those who remember, just yeah. they couldn't say I, I was rude. They couldn't say the word. Yeah. And, and yet, yeah. I, was, I was so stubborn that I came back to him many times with arguments just like that, where he'd have just some crazy, wow. twisted wow. logic about something, and I said, this time he has to admit it, and he never did, and, and my stepbrothers would laugh at me. He said, do you really think he's going to ever change? And I said, no, apparently I'm not either, but but these were among the many arguments I've had. I had with him to the belief that a cat that has a, a uh, operation to be neutered has changed its sex. So he really believed that. So, so when you start with that kind of twisted logic, you can see how there were many arguments and many moments of frustration with uh, a man that apparently couldn't see things uh, very plainly or accurately, for that matter. I only wish it stopped there. Uh, we're talking to Brian Wheeler. Let's move on. Can we move on to the? Let's move on to the sure, next subject. You, you have all of our great wishes. All of Seattle. Anybody who's listening to Mitch Unfiltered is cheering for Brian Wheeler to get better, to to win the battle against uh, weight. There's so many of us that have that battle, and to, to get back in front of a microphone, which is where you were born to be, where you belong to be. And I know that that uh, we'll be cheering for you every step of the way. Uh, while we're on the subject of the NBA, kind of on the subject of the NBA, you know that we're going to have a blogger on that's got a tattoo of his face because Russell Westbrook was uh, traded to the Houston Rockets, so now he's got to put the triple-double numbers on his face. You'll hear that interview in a, in a segment or two. What does the combo of Russell Westbrook and James Harden do for you with all the other dynamic duos in the Western Conference, Wheels? Are they going to fight over the ball? There's a lot of jokes out there that they're going to be guarding one another as they come up the floor <laughs> trying to take the ball away from each other, right? Well, the, the, great, the great comedian John Caponera 
um, was a Chicago guy. He used to do a little segment on Wilt's 100-point game, and he said, could you imagine being one of his teammates that night? Wilt, I'm open. I'm open. You know, and, and, and I, think, I think a lot of the Rocket teammates of Russell and James are going to be saying, I don't know why we're here. We, we, they don't need us to handle the ball or, for that matter, shoot it. So there's going to be a whole lot of uh, – and these are ball-dominant guards, so I'm curious to see how it's going to work. Mike D'Antoni's a pretty good – Offensive mind, but uh, but Chris Paul, who's a less dominant guard than uh, than Westbrook is, even he had some problems with Harden, and so I just don't know how it's gonna gonna work out. But uh, um, I guess you know uh, it's interesting that when we talk about basketball in the Northwest, I think Daryl Morey, the, the Rockets GM, reminds me a lot of Bob Whitsitt because I think uh, the way Bob built the Sox, the way he built the Trailblazers very often was I'm just going to put as much talent out on the court or at least on the roster as possible, leave it up to the coach to figure out how to use everybody. But, you know, I'm, I didn't major in chemistry. He, he made that infamous, <laughs> infamous statement one time. So, you know, it doesn't matter if the pieces fit naturally, but, you know, if they got talent, you know, we'll figure out a way to, you know, to make it work if we've got, right. you know, the best natural talent that takes the court every night. But it's going to be a fascinating uh, case study. That's Where do you sure. put them? Where do you put them? Well, I think uh, – I think, I think I've got to put them, you know, in, in the middle of the pack. I think there's certainly teams ahead of them, but I think that star power is going to mean something. I think they could possibly be a better regular season team. You know, Westbrook has had uh, infamous uh, failures in the postseason, including last year. Uh, and so the question becomes, because this team at this point in the, in, in the careers of guys like Harden and Westbrook, they're not going to be judged by how many games they win in the regular season. They have to have a long and productive postseason run, and I tend to think – depending on what other pieces they may or may not be able to add, I tend to think that uh, that with this present roster might be difficult. Now, they're one of the teams that are interested in Andre Iguodala. If they were to get somebody like him who's selfless and can handle the ball some if needed, uh, so those guys who play off the ball at times and also is a great defensive player and is all about team, well, then maybe that uh, brings things back to the middle a little bit. But, uh, but if, uh, if those are going to be the two best players and the ones you're going to depend on all season long, um, they may have a lot of nights where they score a ton of points. Yeah. But I'm just going to be curious how many guys will score points other than those two. Uh, listen, I don't mean to be insensitive by bringing up food on this particular episode of the uh, <laughs> of the show, but I need your help. I, where are you on mushrooms? Are you are not you? a big mushroom fan? Not oh. a big mushroom fan. Uh, oh, in fact, usually if it, if it ends up on a pizza that I've that uh, I have in front of me, I usually would scrape you know, them off. Mushrooms and anchovies are kind of oh. the things that I have I have trouble. Uh, I usually would, would pick them off of the well, pizza. So I'm not, okay. not a big mushroom. Well, fan. then you're not going to be. I'm not going to be able to fall and you catch me. Because uh, I need, I brought it up in 47P. I need some advice from listeners on mushrooms. I got a lot of advice from the patrons from 47P, but I don't think people understood. So I'll give it to you in a in a nutshell because I, I went ahead and described the situation 47P. I hate mushrooms. There's nothing, there's no other food in this world that makes me more sick to my stomach just to look at than mushrooms. I, it, really? it, I will ask... In a, in a restaurant over a dish that would never have mushrooms in it, I will always ask, is there mushrooms in it? Because there's just no way, no how. I can't even look at one. If I see one on my plate, I, I, I send the plate back. And this is going on for, well, 52 years. <laughs> this is going on for a long time. And so much so that it's become the laughing stock of my family. I have two older brothers, as you know, and both of them made... Uh, made fun of me. They put mushrooms on my plate as a kid. They'd say, hey, look, what's that over there? And then they put a mushroom on my plate. 
and uh, it's even got, it's even gotten to the point where my kids laugh at it because they eat mushrooms, and they love the fact that I don't eat mushrooms. And so, when Dad wants to steal some of their food, the way they dad proof their food is they put mushrooms on it. So, <laughs> so the story is is that you, my oldest son Max, who has uh, just completed his junior year in high school. Took the, took the SATs recently, and he came to me before he took the SATs, and he said to me, Dad, what? you have more sound effects over there. And you're <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, the ice cream man coming. Remember the, <laughs> the ice cream guy used to have the, the little the little ringing, ringing bell yes, that kind man. of signaled to you that he was coming by? It was yes. great, great uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, as a matter of fact. Tell me uh, your the, friend. Uh, We're not done yet. Tell me your friend's not there already for double. Oh, no, no. He's not, in fact, he, that was him sending a text that he's running late because his car had a flat. So uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's not having a good Sunday. <laughs> All right. but I, I told him, take your time. Take okay. your time. So my son, Max, <laughs> took the SATs. And before he took the SATs, he asked me, What's the score, Dad? What's the score that I can get that you'll sit down and eat a bowl of mushrooms? And I said to him, there's no score. There's no score. There, I'm not, after all these years, not only am I not eating a bowl of mushrooms, I'm not looking at a bowl of mushrooms. There's nothing you can do. He said, come on, Dad. There's got to be a score. So I said, okay, you want a score? You get a perfect score on the SATs. Get a perfect score on the SATs, and I'll eat a bowl of mushrooms. He said, "No, come and that's on." That's hard to do. Ah, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not I, like you gave him something that was, you know, <laughs> I mean, not, not not too hard. I mean, I mean, you were really putting him in a position where I don't think you had a lot yeah. of. I mean, as much as you wanted to score to be high, right? I think that uh, you probably knew that this was a safe, uh, um, you know, as safe, all the bets, uh, as all the bets, that yes, try to shoot for. Yes, and so my wife says to me, she's listening. Oh, come on, give him. Give him a number. And he's like, give me a number. And the little guy is saying, give him a number. So I gave him a number. doesn't matter what the number is. I came down from 1,600. And an already long story short is he got the results the other day, and he got the number. Oh, my. <laughs> so when do you have to eat mushrooms? I have to eat mushrooms in the near future. Uh, he's deciding whether he wants me to eat them here or whether he wants to wait for a family reunion where my brothers can see. He's going to videotape it. <laughs> Everybody in the family has been waiting for 52 years for me to eat a mushroom, let alone a bowl of mushrooms. So now, so now I got to eat all these mushrooms, and I you can't have to eat I, a whole bowl. I got Yes. Can it be on something? I mean, well, that's like that's that's pizza, and, and that's no. It can't. He's he's got the final approval, and so, so this is what I happened on the on 47P. I asked for people to help me out with how should I eat these mushrooms? But everybody that helped, and there were a lot of people who sent me emails, tons at MitchUnMitchUnfiltered.com, they sent me these glamorous these glamorous recipes with mushrooms, and the truth is is that Max gets the final call, and anything that he perceives is going to allow me to enjoy or not taste mushrooms. He's not choosing. He's not, <laughs> he's not choosing. <laughs> So I thought my dear friend Brian Wheeler could help, but now I find that even Wheels doesn't eat mushrooms. So now no. I, I have to fall backwards and hope that somebody in the audience will catch me. So what I'm looking for in our audience, before we get to our interviews, and you and I will come back and finish up. We've got about three or four other subjects that we've got to discuss in the second, in the last segment, and you've got to name the show. My, yes. my hope is, is that somebody will email me or... Facebook me now that we have a Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page or you can send me a tweet or something. 
I need ideas for how I should eat these mushrooms that Max is going to agree with. Does that make sense? I, it, it can't be so incredibly profound and nice and delicious that he's, he, he, there's no way he's going to accept that. He, he may make me eat raw mushrooms like right from the supermarket store, you know, right, right from. Yeah, the, I, I can see that happening. Yeah. But maybe, you know, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily like I love split pea with ham soup, but I didn't like peas by themselves. So I would actually wash them down with milk. And I don't know if I got all the nutrients that way, but I got them down. <laughs> so maybe there's uh, your favorite beverage could come into play. And oh. maybe that's how you oh. could uh, you yeah. can get them down. Yeah. Yeah. That's the mushroom story. OK, so if you're not going to help, hopefully somebody else can help. <laughs> With, uh, with my mushroom dilemma, my mushroom debate. I got three uh, interesting interviews coming up, and then you and I will conclude matters. I've got a few different storylines that you and I have to discuss, including the knucklehead that is Josh Norman. Did you see the video of Josh Norman jumping over a bull? In Pamplona, oh, yeah. oh Pamplona, yeah. yeah. And we got the NFL owners that won 18 games. We got an Angels no hitter against our beloved Mariners, and we've got too many LeBron James 23 jerseys left at Nike for them to allow him to change his number. I have a few comments about that as we continue on Mitch Unfiltered. So, Wheels, does anything go with summer better than a great slice of Northwest pizza and an ice cold craft beer from Zeke's? Zeke's Pizza is now an official partner of the inaugural Eastside Beer Week, hosting events to mark the occasion on July 17th at the Kirkland location and July 18th in Bothell. Northwest-style pizza dough with a West Coast sourdough bite, toppings full throttle on flavor, creative and different without ever losing respect for the classics. The dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge and delivered fresh daily to all 17 Puget Sound locations. Every pizza is hand-tossed when you order it. All of Zeke's herbs and produce are locally sourced whenever possible and are always hand chopped on site to emphasize their fresh natural flavors join me this fall at various zeke's to watch the seahawks and the huskies because zeke's pizza is a great partner homegrown in the northwest unfiltered Gosh, it's been a long time since we've had this next guest on the old podcast. The podcast is different, Jason Lockenford. Lots of people are listening. We've got sponsors. And and where have you been? Are you on vacation? I mean, I thought that a, an NFL an NFL man's work is never done, Jason. Yeah, for the most part, that's true. But uh, if you can sneak away the first two weeks of July, are usually the best time to do it. Um, it's, it's never, it's you know. To your point, it's never totally dull. But yeah, I uh, I was at the beach uh, for a little over a week, and uh, as we speak now, I officially go back to work tomorrow. So I am uh, starting to plot out column ideas, and my training camp travels are pretty much uh, pretty much have that figured out. So yeah, man, it's back to the grind. How many training camps this year? You coming out to Seattle this year? No, I'm not going out west. Uh, Evan Washburn is starting out west. Okay. Um, for us and for obvious reasons, we're trying not to double dip too much. So he had already planned a trip out west that I wasn't even aware of. So uh, I don't know if he's going to Seattle or not. I, I certainly would if I was going out west. Yeah. But, uh, no, I'm uh, – I think I'll probably end up hitting 14 teams or so, but I don't think I'm going further west than um, Indianapolis. Okay. 
Yeah. And, and who are the most who are the most intriguing NFL preseason training camp storylines besides the Cleveland Browns? I think I've OD'd on the Cleveland Browns. Is there anybody else that we should be interested in besides the Browns? Sure. I mean, you know, a lot of these new quarterbacks, a lot of these new coaches, um, you know, this whole thing in Green Bay, how is yeah. that going to play out? You know, is is is, is uh, this young coach who some people think might be in a little over his head going to be able to navigate, you know, the, the potential landmines and pitfalls with Aaron Rodgers and, and how much will Aaron Rodgers acquiesce? To someone who, let's face it, doesn't have the pedigree that that Rogers has, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm interested to see how things shape up down in Houston, where uh, it's been one power struggle and and one, uh, you know, sort of toxic climate after the other. And is, is this Bill O'Brien's last stand? You know, is he able to hold that thing up and 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 scotch tape together an offensive line or a semblance of an offensive line? You know, what can they do to incubate their young quarterback? Um, you know, Andrew Luck coming back uh, now a further year removed from any shoulder problems. I understand he's missed time this spring, but not for anything of that magnitude. A Carson Wentz without a, uh, without a brace and without Nick Foles, you know, hanging in the shadows or lurking or, or whatever. And not to imply that, those, that it was like that or anything nefarious because they had an incredibly strong relationship. But uh, it's just a different scenario there entirely where now he's being paid literally to be the franchise. And um, you know, how does he handle that? And can he escape injury uh, and, and, and be relatively healthy? You know, Pittsburgh, I don't know, man. Sometimes it's addition by subtraction, and sometimes it's just subtraction. And the climate up there, and Roethlisberger now being sort of empowered yet again, but without some of the horses that they've had in years past, I'm very interested. And with Mike Tomlin right now probably being on, I don't know if it's fair to say shaky ground, but certainly um, – under more uh, under more sort of criticism and, right. and being evaluated in a way that he probably hasn't been since his second or third year in the league. So, I mean, those are just a few of, of the ones that, that pop to mind. Um, but you know this league, man. They'll, they'll, there, there's, it's never boring. There's always – I mean, I didn't even mention the Patriots yet, right, and, and what's going on there post-Gronk, and, and is, is this their last stand as well? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty to go around this time of year. You mentioned Houston, which is a really interesting situation. And when people are actually listening to this podcast, 48, episode 48, Jadavian Clowney's got a decision to make, right? What's The, the deadline is on Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific time for any long-term deals for Clowney and who? Robbie Gold, the kicker, which is crazy in its own yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I don't anticipate much happening with Jadavion Clowney. I think they're they're squatting on him for another year and renting him out. I mean, it's conceivable he's dealt in season. It's rare for a team to have the kind of budget um, flexibility, not because they don't have the money, but just because that's not how owners like to roll, um, to, to go and add on a guy, let's say a month into the season, who you're going to have to pay $12 bucks to. Uh, they're usually reticent to do that. Uh, but it could be done. You know, he could still be traded on, on the franchise tag. Obviously, no extension could be done 
until after the fact. But I guess if it's a total disaster down there and they have a brutal first half, um, that owner may want to shed some more salary. And if he's already thinking at that point that I'm probably not rolling with this O'Brien scenario that much longer anyway. Uh, but no, I don't think anything happens this month. Uh, that's one where they should have really gotten ahead of the curve when the D Fords of the world um, were changing, you know, uh, locations and, and the Frank Clarks of the world were changing locations. They, they probably needed to be more realistic about trade options then and have, have moved him, but they didn't. And now I suspect he plays out one more year there and then walks out the door and they get a comp pick for him. Right. So that means he doesn't, he doesn't play in training camp and he comes in the Tuesday or the right. Monday before the first regular season game. So he doesn't, so he doesn't lose any money. So any real, yeah, money. and right. he's also a guy who, who if he's going to get a monster payday, it requires him to be more yeah, healthy than he's year. been, you yeah. know, because his highs are super high, but his lows are really low. And, and um, people are certainly willing to gamble on pass rush, but they at least want to see a semblance of durability. And, and that just hasn't really been the case with him. It seems like he's been on the injury list since he came into the league. Doesn't mean he didn't play in a lot of those weeks, but always seems to be something going on there. So, yeah, I, I don't see him holding out into the season. He knows that this is the end there. Collect that, you know, whatever, $16 million. Right. Try to set yourself up for a monster deal elsewhere next year. Right. How about Melvin Gordon? Is he going to sign a, an extension? Is he going to play the final year? How much money does he want? How much money does he deserve? I guess this is, again, in microcosm, the, the story of running backs the last many years and how much they're worth on the, on the yeah. open market to these teams. Tough spot to be in. Um, it's a tough position to take a stand, and it's it's different even uh, than wide receiver or what we've seen. Uh, maybe some pass rushers be able to get away with, or or even take it, you know, to a Darrell Revis and the way he was able to to forcefully play his hand with with excellence, uh, with with great acumen, numerous times in his career. But I, <laughs> it's just different. It's different for running backs, and and he's a great back, but I don't know that he's best of breed and. You know, so you're, you're sitting there saying, okay, well, Gurley got this sort of anomaly contract, but, boy, how has that worked out for, for him or the team? <laughs> right. You know, and everybody else has really had to try to, you know, play it out. We know what, what, what Le'Veon Bell has gone through. Um, we've got a scenario uh, where David Johnson eventually got paid, but not quite what he wanted and, and not quite when he wanted. It, it's tough sledding. And the, the fact that, the, you know, he, he can't sit out a year and get free – you know, he sits out a year, the contract still tolls, they still have two franchise years they could potentially, um, you know, use to, to bludgeon you and call your bluff. I, I just think it's a difficult scenario to be in. I, I wonder if at the end of the day there is a, um, a Band-Aid deal, a bridge deal of some sort that gives him more than one year of security but doesn't have them paying him anything more than a year or two into the future. And, and basically you try to ride him out through age 28-ish and then, you know, then let him go at that point when he's a little closer to 30. Maybe that's, at, at the end of the day, something that makes a little more sense for both parties than, than, um, than a lockout. What I will say this is his agent, Fletcher Smith, is, is very shrewd, very smart, would not – um, have taken this sort of a stand unless he knew the player was definitely all in and wasn't going to cave too soon. But there'll, there'll come a point there probably midway through training camp where um, I think we'll finally find out exactly what both sides are made of. And I, and I do think there's a compromise deal 
that could be done, but it's, I don't see it being a, you know, a Todd Gurley, you know, multi-year mega contract. So what do the Chargers want to do right now? What would the Chargers do? Well, I think for if you're the Chargers, you'd love to play him out the fifth year and then oh. he's relatively healthy. You franchise him at least once, right? And then right. if he's dominant still, then you, you could franchise him again, or, or maybe you try to do a, a deal at that point, but you want to use up as much of his years of cost certainty as you can. And, and what, what you know, the path that he's on right now with the fifth-year option and with franchising him for one more year, what, if you're them, it, the, hey, well, this, this looks pretty good for us. Is we'll, he the, be- sign up for that. Is he the best all-around running back right now going in the NFL, Melvin Gordon? I think he's really, really good. I think he's certainly top five. Um, you know, we'll see if David Johnson can bounce back. Todd Gurley's that situation would give anybody pause at this point. Le'Veon Bell's been gone for so long, you know, that I don't know what to make of that. I mean, Saquon Barkley, it's been a year. Like, it was a really good year, no doubt. He's an explosive player, but I'm not ready to anoint him. Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he can't, you know what I mean? He can't get out of his own way. And it's a long offseason. So you can understand their trepidation about wanting to lock in something with him. So, um, you know, what, a year ago, we would have been talking about uh, Kareem, Hunt in this, uh, Kareem Hunt in this same conversation, right? But yep. not right now. And right. he's coming back the middle of the year. So, I, look, you could make the case that he is. But then, you know, the flip side of that is, yeah, but we don't. why do we have to do this right now? You know, like, because of the injury risk at that position. And, you know, he wasn't right last year. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. I, I think he was playing uh, through some pretty serious stuff when he came back late in the year and you know, to, to gut it out in that playoff game against the Ravens and keep going. But he wasn't. He wasn't right down the stretch. Um, so it's just it's, – it's, it is a very difficult position to have the kind of leverage that you want to have in a situation like this. I love your comment about the uh, the Ezekiel Elliott offseason. For everybody else, it's a very short offseason in the NFL. We need to make it longer. For Ezekiel Elliott, it's a very long offseason, trying to get back to uh, the uh, the organization and the structure of of football. Uh, owners and player uh, owners and players. What when is the the deal up? The next deal up after the twenty twenty one season? Is that right? A couple more seasons before yeah. the, the deal's up. Uh, we, yeah, but we're not yeah. going to get to that. No. Point. Okay. I so mean, I've been reporting since the combine that something would be done at least a year before that con- that contract was up, based on the progress they were already making at a time when they would have you believe they weren't even talking, but but they were, and they were making um, significant foundational work to lay the groundwork for when the formal negotiation period started, they had already kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge on a bunch of stuff that they were um, in alignment on. It doesn't mean that a deal is imminent or anything close to it. It doesn't mean that it couldn't go sideways before it gets back on track. I think personally, this idea that it'll be done before the start of this season, I think that's probably um, stretching going to prove to be ambitious. Yeah. I think that's going to prove to be um, ambitious, but but I think they'll have made even more headway over these next few months uh, before the season starts. And I think there's potential for them to have, I mean, would I be stunned if at that October meeting they had something to vote on or at least a sort of preliminary vote um, at the October owners meeting? I, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't know that I, that I would. Certainly, I think by the 2020 offseason, we've got new rules in place, and, and that will also – lay the foundation for them then to start get cracking on their broadcast deals right away. No, you know, those things have what I think four years left on them, four seasons. I, I think 
I think they'll know who's in and who's out well before then. Um, but the labor piece will come first. And then you've got the third element is this is gambling and, you know, how much money do they take and from whom and, and for what, uh, and, and, you know, at what point are, are they basically, you know, just completely obviously coming to terms with this being a, a game changing revenue stream for them that they embrace wholeheartedly. And like, will that happen by week one? Not necessarily, but I, by 2020, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. There's no chance we're going to an 18 game season, even though the I owners want that, so. right? right? I don't think so. I think it ends up being a bridge too far. They're going to continue to bring it up and ask for things and use it as part of the horse trading and the bartering and the back and forth that goes into these negotiations. At the end of the day, um, I look at that one sort of the same way I look at from the union side, their, their uh, contention that, you know, all contracts should be guaranteed and or the franchise tag would, would go away. I think it's kind of the third rail. Like everybody talks about it and they talk around it, but there's not a point where both sides step on it. It would make a lot of money for players, but yeah, I get it. It grows the pie and, and everything gets, you know, Obviously, more games means more revenue, and cutting the preseason and adding to the regular season makes it even more. But I, I think because of the influx of, of gambling and some of the other things the union's looking at to where they already think the pie is going to grow exponentially, I just don't see them being willing to go there. The players wouldn't play more games, right, because the players would only play 16 out of the 18 games? I mean, games. they would and they would. I mean, the thing is, they're all hypotheticals. You know what I mean? So yeah. what what would the league ideally want? I mean, the league would ideally want 18 mm-hmm. games where their best players are all there right. out there for as many of the 18. You know, I just have a hard time thinking that there's really a scenario out there where in the heat of playoff stretches, you've got this duality going on where we got to get our starter the most reps we possibly can to keep him going, you know, and keep our offense lubed up and in sync for the long haul. But, yeah, we've also got to take reps away the next two weeks because our backup's going to be playing in week 12, you know what I mean, just because he has to or whatever. You know, I just don't see that jibing with, with what professional sports is ultimately supposed to be, which, you know what I mean, is getting your best team out there yeah. and this meritocracy and playing to win each and every snap. I just think that's kind of awkward and, and kind of a tough sell. And it smells like, doesn't that sort of smell like preseason football? It does. But which it would... is what they're allegedly trying to get away from, right, is, is the idea that, you know, we need to, we're playing too many of our worst players already and putting them on games, you know, on prime time and national TV throughout the month of late July and, and throughout all of August. This smells like doing that in November or December or whenever the heck they would play these games. It would expand rosters. There'd be more players, right? More players in the Players well, Association. I think rosters are going to expand regardless. Yeah. You know, I think that's an area where you're going to see an expansion of overall rosters and you're going to see an expansion of game day rosters. You know, I think that will be part of the natural sort of uh, give and take tug of war that's going on between these sides. I think that's an area where the PA can win on. So if you're sitting there in the PA and saying, well, we think we can get. You know, maybe a guy or two added to practice squads, maybe a guy or two added to off-season rosters, maybe, a, a, you know, a few guys added to in-season rosters, and then, you know, everybody's active on game day. Then, you know what I mean? That's yeah. more money for us yeah. there. Yeah. Whatever cut we get from gambling is more money from us. These next rounds of, of TV, you know, again, negotiations, and now it's not just the same old three or four networks. You've got Amazon, Google, Netflix, Facebook, whoever the hell else could be involved in it. That, you know, comp- competition breeds, you know, more money. 
I, I don't know that they have to go 18 games to ultimately feel like we're, we're you know, over the next. And I don't know if this is going to be a 10-year deal either. I don't think it's going to be quite as long as the last one. But if it's a six-year deal that can be extended to eight or whatever it ends up being, you know, I think they're going to look at, at that big picture and say we, we're going to do all right for ourselves without, you know, conceding to 18. That's a slippery slope, too. You know what I mean? When does 18 become 20? I, 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 I just I have a hard time seeing it happen. Jason, lock and four. Finish up with the Jim Caldwell news in Miami. Tough news for Jim. Tough news for the Dolphins. Tough news for Josh Rosen. I'm assuming, you know, as the quarterback's guru, the quarterback's coach, he was going to figure prominently yeah. in this one-year yeah. experiment. Rosen really only has one year to show the Dolphins that he should be the future. Otherwise, they're going to draft a quarterback in next year's first round, right? Yeah. You draft a quarterback in next year's first round, but still have, you know, doesn't mean that that kid's playing right away. You know, it doesn't mean that Rosen can't still be there. And if you think, you know, you're developing a potential boffo trade chip, that you don't still ride him out. But uh, it's a big blow. I mean, the one guy you didn't mention, I think it, it, it just devastates the most, is Brian Flores, sure, who, sure. when Caldwell's there as a first time head coach, you know, who, who's. Let's face it. I mean, he's been the defensive coordinator in New England, but like you got Bill, you know what I mean. You've got the greatest safety net in the history of the world standing on the sidelines with you, and Bill Belichick to to go from that cocoon to now this one in Miami, where it looks like I don't have to worry about anything on the offensive side of the ball. Jim Caldwell's already overqualified to be an NFL head coach, much less my right hand man. Like all I got to do is worry about defense and special teams. Now you take that away. I think it's um, beyond significant. Uh, I, I mean, I had a chance to spend a couple of days in Atlanta at this NFL uh, QB coaching summit, basically the league's attempt, along with the um, historically black college, historically black colleges of America and the Black College Hall of Fame, to try to address the issue of the lack of minority coaches in the NFL. And so they had a lot of current and former coaches and young up-and-coming coaches in college together for a couple of days <laughs> trying to kind of to create a pipeline of, of um, and, and create a resource net for some of these young African-American and Hispanic coaches to, to learn from. And Jim Caldwell gave some presentations that were just absolutely – like he, he knocked my socks off. Like he, he blew me away. Like it was actually kind of devastating to think like this guy in 20 – like you're going to tell me Matt LaFleur came into Green Bay – gave a better four-hour presentation than Jim Caldwell. Like, I, I just find it ast- – I find that astonishing to believe. Like, I, I find it I – I, frankly, I can't believe it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. Um, they just wanted to hire a young kid who they thought was totally malleable and under their thumb or whatever. I don't know what was going on there. There's no way you could tell me that LaFleur was better equipped to come into that situation right now when Aaron Rodgers and handle it than Jim Caldwell. After all, he's been through Peyton Manning. But regardless um, – he, he, he could be literally the co-head coach for Brian Flores, and he has such a giving part of him that he, it's, it wouldn't be about him at all. It would be about making Brian Flores the best potential coach he can be. And to not have him in the building with you for 14 hours a day, 18 hours a day, is a huge blow. Hopefully he can come – I mean, look, again, he shouldn't be there anyway. He should be coaching his own NFL team. But if he's back there next year or whatever, hopefully he can be a part of the long-term process there for Miami. But – it is a long-term process. It's not about 2019. It shouldn't be about 2019. It can't be, frankly, if they're ever going to get over the hump. About 2019, um, 
but uh, it's a shame. I mean, Coach, he, he was he was rocking and rolling when I saw him a, a less than a month ago, and I just you know I hope obviously for his sake that that he, he gets as healthy as he possibly can soon. Um, but yeah, that that changes the complexity of yeah. everything yeah. down there, and uh, I liked him as a pretty good shot at the first overall pick. Uh, even with him there and without him, I, I think it's. Uh, I think that's a safe bet. All right, Jason Locking for I love you, brother. Thank you for doing the CBS Sports. His vacation is over. Before you know it, it'll be at training camps. Training camps are about to begin all over the nation, and nobody does it better than CBS Sports. Jason Locking for who's very, very kind to us on Mitch Unfiltered. Sorry about all the losses. We've been watching a lot of baseball losses. You and the Orioles, us and the Mariners. I don't know that either team is going to get close to, what, 60, 65? Is that, are, they gonna, are the Orioles uh, going to get to 60 wins? Won't. No, the Orioles, they just traded Andrew Kashner. I mean, Andrew Kashner was like somehow eight games above 500 for a team that's 40 below. <laughs> no, they, they have assured that first overall pick, and I am totally on board with it. But, uh, no, the Bowie Bay Sox have won 16 in their last 21, and the Delmarva Shorebirds are almost 40 games over 500 and have the best it. record in organized baseball. Uh, and that's where we've been spending our money, brother. There you go. There you go. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for doing this. You got it, buddy. My pleasure. And there he is, our old buddy Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports, the first of many visits throughout the football season. Jason doesn't think the 18-game schedule is going to work for the players as much as a lot of us would like to see the expansion of the NFL season from 16 to 18 games. The more, the merrier, right? You know, when you match world-class quality with convenience, you've got an unbeatable combination. Worker live downtown, the brand-new downtown Daniels at the Hyatt Regency the perfect place for business meetings or special occasion events. Daniel's downtown private dining room seats, 88 for sit-down dinners and considerably more for casual events. What do you get at Daniel's downtown private dining room? World-class quality, complete control of your budget, and no room charge. Have a business or client meeting where you need to impress? Daniel's Broiler has long been the choice of corporate Seattle. Special occasions like birthdays and anniversaries, special family events. Daniel's has a long history of making those events special. So if you live or work downtown, Daniel's Private Dining Room is the perfect blend of world-class quality and convenience. Take advantage. Downtown Daniel's Broiler at the new Hyatt Regency, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. You know, sometimes we hit the send button only to wish that we hadn't And then there's the story of our next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Taylor Pate, who's the contributor of rednationhoops.com. It's a Houston Rockets blog. Taylor, thanks for being with us. So the question before we tell everybody what you tweeted back on July 7th at 8.30 a.m. is, do you regret it? Would you like to have it back? Or has all of the spotlight been fun and you would do it all over again? Uh, to be honest with you, I would probably do it all over again. I mean, uh, you know, it's um, the impact for me is, is minimal, I guess. Um, it's it, it can only get so detrimental, right? <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll get there, Taylor. So tell everybody in our audience that's unaware, what did you tweet via Twitter when you hit that send button? What did it say on July 7th? 
Um, it said that if Russell Westbrook gets traded to the Houston Rockets, that I will get his MVP season averages tattooed on my face. Uh-huh. And voila, look what happened just a day or two later. Russell Westbrook was indeed traded to the Houston Rockets. Now, before we get to the nitty-gritty on what you're going to do and if you've done it yet and when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it and how big it's going to be and all the good stuff, I want to understand the origin, what was in your mind when you tweeted that. Is it because you didn't want him? Is it because you did want Russell Westbrook but thought it would never happen to the Houston Rockets? What was the mindset when you – when you sent that tweet out? Yeah, you know, I thought that um, just based on my knowledge of the salary cap, what Rockets general manager Daryl Morey has said in the past, you know, about not being or not trading Chris Paul or James Harden, those are the only two untouchables on the team. It seemed, you know, asinine to think that it was going to happen. And lo and behold, Daryl Morey must really want me to get a face tattoo. <laughs> all right, all right. Hold on a second. Are you an ink guy or are you not an ink guy? Will this be your first tattoo or do you have others? No, I have, uh, I think, eight other tattoos. Oh, okay. So this is not a big deal. When you sent this out, this was not... No, no. Okay. This wasn't some drunken tweet that you, uh, like, oh my God, what did I do? (laughs) No, no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. All right. So you you have lots of tattoos and so this is not the biggest, biggest deal in the world. Are you glad... That had happened. As a, I'm assuming you're a Houston Rockets fan. Maybe you're just a, a media member who's supposed to play it down the middle. Was this a good deal for the Rockets? Um, I think if you look at if you look at the two players, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, Russell Westbrook at this stage of his career is is objectively a better player than Chris Paul. Um, whether or not the fit is as ideal um, is that remains to be seen. But I will say. James Harden and Russell Westbrook are very good friends. They apparently orchestrated this together, um, and it's what they want. So um, that might be the saving grace for for this um, this duo. This is Taylor Pate, <laughs> who's a contributor of RedNationHoops.com, a Houston Rockets blog. Okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Now, how big and where? I've been following this a little bit. I thought it was going to be on your chin maybe underneath a beard. And then I saw something just before we did the interview that I think is kind of controversial. I think some of your followers are going to say, no, 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 no. This is a way of weaseling out. Uh, Let's start with what is it that you have to, what are the numbers? Obviously it's triple double numbers. What are the numbers that you have to tattoo on your face? Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be 31, 10 and 10. Um, And I, uh, you know, at first when I was going to do it under the, under the chin, um, I, had planned to maybe put even like a little basketball next to it or something or underneath it. Um, you know, but at this point I'm, I'm thinking about doing it in my lip. And the reason I say that is because, um, lip tattoos are not necessarily permanent and they go away usually within a few years. And you don't want this permanently. You just want to do it to do, to say that you've done it and to make good on your, on your on your promise on your guarantee but then it's okay if it goes away sure and and i you know if you think about it russell westbrook's contract is the next three years and hey maybe by the time uh, that contract runs up then that tattoo will go away but it's a little uh, taylor with all due respect and i really appreciate you coming on mitch unfiltered but i've got to stand up for the little people here it's it's a little 
it's a little Weasley. We're not going to see it. It's not going to be out and about. I mean, doesn't it violate the true spirit of the tweet? When you say, if Russell Westbrook is acquired by the Houston Rockets, I will tattoo his triple-double numbers on my face. Doesn't inside the lip, isn't that kind of a, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it, Taylor. I'm not, I think it's got to be out and about so that we can see it for goodness sakes. You know, um, I, I do have a career. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm an IT professional. Um, you know, I work for a great company. Um, you know, they're called Revention POS. It's a wonderful company. My bosses have actually encouraged this idea. Um, okay. Okay. And so that's good. You know, but I do want to just kind of future proof myself a little bit um, just in case the worst happens. What, what and if, so I think this is a yeah, I think this is a good way to uh, to kind of, you know, hold the balance between everyone. OK, so what did your bosses at the I.T. company approve? Would they be OK with it being out and about on your chin, on your cheek? A little Mike Tyson, because I'm thinking Mike Tyson. When I'm picturing you, Taylor, I, I want Mike Tyson, but instead of whatever he's got out there, I want, you know, the, the, the triple-double numbers so, so everyone can see it in plain sight. What, what, were your, what were your bosses and your supervisors okay with when you discussed it with them? Um, I talked to them both about the uh, inside the lip and under the chin, and they were okay with either one of those. Um, and so, you know, I kind of made the executive decision okay. um, that – the, the lip might be a little bit uh, more, um, you know, better for me in the long run. Okay. And you're going to go around like rolling down your lip for people to see it. I mean, the first few weeks, the first few days, you're going to have to do, I mean, you're going to have to show people, right? That it's there. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess if I'm, if I'm thinking about it, pictures with, you know, people will probably be easier on my lip versus, you know, looking straight up yeah. and, and holding my beard up. Do you know whether Russell Westbrook himself uh, is aware of all of this? And if so, has he reacted to it? Uh, I don't know if he's aware. Um, I have tweeted at him a couple of times, um, hoping that he would see it um, and, and maybe get a kick out of it. What's been the reaction like? You know, we're in the world of social media. I, I would imagine, well, I was going to say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but there was no Twitter, so you wouldn't have been able to tweet it out. Uh, are you enjoying your 15 minutes of fame as a result of this tweet and going about your business? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been a blast. I love Twitter. Um, it, it's my favorite uh, social media platform, and um, I think it's it, it's part of the culture, and, and I'm I'm happy to be part of that culture. Are you going to Facebook Live this thing? Are you going to do it in such a way that we can see, at the very least, see the results of this? How do you how do you what when do you intend to do it, and how are you going to do it? So I'm thinking um, next Saturday uh, is the tentative date, and I'm planning to stream it on my Twitch channel. On your Twitch channel? All right. So yeah. do you want to promote that? How do people see it? If anybody in our audience wants to see, where do they go? I don't know anything about Twitch. I don't even know anything about podcasting, and here I am doing it. So you tell me, Taylor, <laughs> how do we find how do we find yeah. your Twitch channel? So if you actually go to my Twitter, which is at Taylor L. Pate, yep. in my bio is the link to my Twitch channel. Okay. At Taylor L. Pate, that's T-A-Y-L-O-R-L-P-A-T-E. He's the man who said that if the Rockets acquire Russell Westbrook, he will he will tattoo his triple-double MVP numbers on his face. Now, everyone can be the judge. Taylor has decided, after heavy consideration and lots of discussion and advice and counsel, that he's going to do this inside of his front 
lip, the bottom lip, right? We're going the bottom lip on this. Yes. Okay. Yes, bottom lip. Any chance that, that you'll change your mind between now and Saturday and do it somewhere else? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty set on on inside the lip. All right. I look forward to to seeing the work as it's done and when it's completed. And we really appreciate you joining us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Taylor. Absolutely. Thanks, Taylor Pate. Houston Rockets blogger who now has to tattoo Russell Westbrook's MVP triple-double averages on his face, although kind of weaseling out by going beneath the lower lip. So you could be running out of time to save substantial dollars on your monthly mortgage every single month to put more money in your pocket. All it takes is a simple call to the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team. 30-year fixed mortgage rates are really low, and you're crazy not to just explore how much money that you can save by dialing 425-250-3150. That's 425 250 Cam Chancellor K.J. Wright, 3150. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland Guild Mortgage team have three top 1% industry people. Remember, they're not going to start you all over on your mortgage. They're just going to set the payoff schedule to the amount of months that you're already into your loan so you don't lose any time on the payoff. You just save money. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, the 2017 J.D. Power, number one lender in customer satisfaction. And just think you can kill two birds with one stone. Find out how much money you could save and help out a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Again, the phone number, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. I'm not a wordsmith. I'll let Howard Fendrich, the AP writer in London, uh, help me out here. Howard, the best word I can come up with is wow. That's the only word I can use to describe what I watched on early Sunday morning here, Seattle time. What, uh, what adjective, what nouns would you choose to tell me about Federer and Djokovic? Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, wow is a pretty good word. Incredible, remarkable, unforgettable, memorable. Uh, although Federer, Federer joked on court during the trophy ceremony that he wouldn't mind forgetting it. Uh, this was an incredible match. It really was. Start to finish, two of the greats of all time. Nearly five hours, longest Wimbledon final in history. And that's really saying something because we're talking about a tournament they've been playing since the 1870s. Longest one ever. First time this rule has been in effect where you go to a tiebreaker at 12 all in the fifth set. So it's historic in that way, too. It's the first time in 71 years that a guy faced championship points and then came back to win, which Djokovic did. It hadn't happened since 1948 that one player was a point from losing in the Wimbledon final and came back to win. It had a little bit of everything and more. Uh, really uh, terrific uh, sporting event. Must have been a joy to cover. Howard Fendrich is the AP writer. He's in London uh, going on vacation, then coming home to Washington, D.C. 
You talked a lot about some of my follow-up questions, so I'll go one by one with you, Howard. Certainly, Roger Federer, who's denied that 21st Grand Slam, will go away with some form of nightmares of his opportunities that he had to close out the match on his serve in the fifth set, that one game. And I don't remember what game it was, but he had two match points on his serve and couldn't finish the job. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it seemed to everybody, to Federer, I'm sure, to Djokovic, without a doubt, to 15,000 people in the stands and millions more watching on TV that this was over. Federer got the key break in the fifth set to go up 8-7. He's serving for the match. He had been serving superbly throughout. Uh, You know, he is one of the greatest servers of all time. And even though Djokovic is an incredible returner, he didn't even get a break point until the fourth set against Federer. So here we are, 40-15, 8-7, has to be over, right? Yeah. Uh, Except, except... Uh, Djokovic held on there. Federer missed the shot on the first championship point. Djokovic hit a winner on the second, and Federer would never get that close again. Unbelievable stuff. Just unbelievable stuff. So instead of Federer, Howard, getting number 21, it's kind of a two grand slam swing, if you will. Federer stays at 20. Djokovic goes to 16. I know Nadal is in there, but he's a little bit older. I guess Djokovic is what four or five years younger than Federer is conventional wisdom with the people that you're around that Djokovic will eventually catch and pass Roger to become the most prolific winner in Grand Slam history? I mean, it certainly is trending that way. You know, Djokovic has now won four of the last five Grand Slam tournaments. He made it to the semifinals at the French Open last month, which is the one he didn't win in that stretch. Uh, it's really an incredible surge he's been making lately. And, yeah, I mean, Federer turns 38 on August 8th. So, uh, and, and Djokovic uh, just turned 32 in May. Right. So he's got, uh, uh, you know, five, five and a half years on the guy. Uh, and while certainly you can't rule out Federer winning another one or two and adding to that total because, boy, he sure came close today. Uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised if Djokovic can catch him. How was the first ever fifth set tiebreaker received, Howard? Howard Fedrich is the the voice that you hear. A little shaky, but it's all the way from London to Seattle, so we hope that you can hear exactly what he's saying. The first ever fifth set tiebreaker, I believe, in Grand Slam history. John McEnroe was on the broadcast. He liked it. In fact, I think he even said that he'd rather see it come at the normal time at 6-6 to go to a tiebreaker in the fifth and final set. I know that there are purists out there who would say, how dare you? How dare you come up with a conclusion of the Wimbledon after two weeks in a tiebreaker in the fifth and final set? What's the? Is there a consensus on this, Howard? Well, I think one thing that I think everybody found a bit amusing was that uh, Djokovic wasn't really 100% sure of the rule because at a certain point in the fifth set, he asked the chair umpire, so at 10 all, is that when we go to the tiebreaker? Uh, no, Novak, it's 12 all. Uh, this is the first time it's been done here. Up until this season, the U.S. Open was the only Grand Slam tournament that would decide a fifth set with a tiebreaker. Okay. The other three, the French Open, the Australian Open, and Wimbledon, would all just let it play out. you got to win by two games. This year... The French Open is the only one now that lets it play out. The Australian Open added a fifth set tiebreaker. 
And now Wimbledon added a fifth tiebreaker, and they're all different. U.S. Open, for example, goes to the tiebreaker at 6-all. Here at Wimbledon, it's at 12-all. That led to Novak's confusion. Uh, And, um, you know, I think Federer was asked sort of what he thought of it. And as the loser on the day, one might have expected him to complain or at least be excused for questioning it. But he said, hey, that's the rule. That's what they decided. We all knew it. And that's the way it goes. Is there any rhyme or reason that Djokovic was able to win the three tiebreakers in this match? Do we do we assign any kind of explanation to that? Is he, at, at a younger age, a better player in the tiebreaker format? Or is it just a huge coincidence, would you say? I guess I would lean a little bit more toward coincidence. I'm not sure I'd put it on age nor can you put it on experience. And the fact is, in general, Federer was the better server. Uh, Indeed, he might have been the better returner on the day, and he did wind up with 14 more points overall than Djokovic did. I mean, it was as tight as can be, as well played on both sides. I I guess I would just say that Federer maybe was the one who got a little tighter, which is on its face, a little surprising, maybe given all that he's done and all he's been through and how long he's been around. But it's not the first time we've seen that from him. It's happened to him against Nadal in Grand Slam finals as well. And so it might just be that Djokovic was able to keep the heart rate down a little better than Federer was at those most crucial moments. Howard Fendrich wants to go on vacation. He joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline all the way from London. We hope we hope that you can hear him clearly enough to make out what Howard is saying. It's important to talk about this incredible sporting event, Wimbledon and the Men's Championship. Before you go, Howard, and you go on that vacation, uh, how about some other takeaways? We had Serena getting blasted in the final and she, I think she behaved like a good sport. I, I, I have been left with a very bad taste in my mouth from the way Serena Williams behaved in a losing cause, losing effort at the U.S. Open. I know there were extenuating circumstances, but I thought it really overshadowed the young, young lady's victory at the U.S. Open. And then there's that other storyline from the first week, which seems like a million years ago, 15-year-old Floridian Coco Goff stealing our hearts in the first week at Wimbledon. Share with us a thought or two on, on those two, and then we'll let you go on your vacation. Well, yeah, you're right about Serena uh, here. She was gracious in the seat. She gave Halep, Simona Halep, the champion, credit. Uh, Williams, you know, there's sort of two sides of the coin here. Williams has now lost three Grand Slam finals. The last three finals that she's played in at Grand Slams, she's lost. Uh, and five of her last seven. That's not something we're used to seeing from Serena Williams. She used to get to the end of a tournament, and when the going was the toughest, she was at her best. She won 21 of the first 25 Grand Slam finals she played in. So we're not used to seeing this. On the other hand, it's pretty darn impressive that she does keep getting to the final. She just has played people who uh, have outplayed her on the day at each of these finals, including this weekend. And, uh, yeah, Coco Goff might wind up being what's remembered most about this tournament if she goes on to do the sorts of things a lot of people are predicting. Youngest qualifier in Wimbledon history, beats five-time champion Venus Williams, who happens to be 24 years older than her in the first round, beats a past semifinalist in the second round, saves two match points in the third round, 15 years old, makes it to the second week, and 
oh, it turns out that who did it take to beat her? The woman who wound up winning the championship, Simona Howard. Arguably one of the top two or three performers in the event, if you if you look at it that way. An incredible couple of weeks. I really enjoyed Wimbledon this time around. Howard Fendrich is the Associated Press writer, I believe stationed in Washington, D.C. He's finished with his journey, and now he gets to relax and go on a little vacation. Howard, thank you for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered before that vacation begins. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Take care. And there he is, Howard Fendrich, the Associated Press writer from London on a thrilling conclusion to a great two weeks at Wimbledon. How about that men's championship final? Did you get up and watch it? Five sets, the first ever tiebreaker in the fifth set, and it goes to Djokovic for grand slam win number 16. Roger Federer is denied number 21. Did you know... That two weeks from right now, four of us will have just returned from the Pebble Beach Golf Links and Spyglass and The Lodge thanks to Evergreen Golf Call, a tremendous sponsor and partner of Mitch Unfiltered. It's called the Unfiltered Majors Challenge, which culminates at the British Open, presented by Evergreen Golf Call and Tyler Hayes' team. I am so lucky to have a partner like Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. We're talking $2 billion in assets managed by Evergreen Golf Call. We're talking the 2018 fastest growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound Business Journal. In 2018, the Financial Times named them one of the top advisors in America. They've got headquarters, yes, in Bellevue and really committed to the local communities, but they have offices along the West Coast in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. Check out what they do at evergreengolfcall.com. G-A-V-E-K A-L, evergreengolfcall.com, the premier wealth manager of the Northwest. Okay, Wheels, how do you feel if you're Daniel Snyder having invested five years, $75 million in Josh Norman to watch video on the internet of him, not only with the Bulls in Pamplona. How would you describe to people who haven't seen this video? He wasn't just like hiding in the corner from the Bulls. Oh, no. He decided to run towards a bull and leapfrog the bull, actually jump over the bull in Pamplona. How, how you liking that if you're the owner of the Redskins? Oh, I don't think I'm liking it very much at all. <laughs> and and I, I know that in, in the players' contracts, they have all kinds of things that they are not allowed to do. It's possible that maybe from the traditional things like, you know, maybe uh, uh, riding a horse or uh, getting on a jet ski, uh, maybe things that would be a little more typical to everyday uh, recreation that maybe somebody didn't think of, including uh, the running with the bulls in in, in Pamplona, because uh, I would have to think that would be on the list pretty high if somebody had really uh, considered all the crazy possibilities that you would not want one of your players involved in. So, uh, but we know that we've known for a long time that uh, Norman is uh, uh, definitely somebody that goes by the beat of his own drummer, but this was probably taking it to an extreme and potentially could have not only caused himself to be hurt, but also the potential future success of his team. So there really wasn't much positive thought 
put into this decision <laughs> on his part. And so this is a, it's a very difficult thing for, for any owner to deal with. And I would imagine that they would be in a position to fine him for, for such a decision. So, yeah. uh, so it might be a costly attempt. At least it didn't, it didn't cost him anything health-wise, it appears. But, but he's, he's, he's more fortunate than, uh, than skilled that that's the case. I just can't believe that he would do this and put himself in jeopardy and not wait until the end. I mean, he, he can wait for a couple of years until he's out of the league when he doesn't have to worry about letting down his teammates and getting himself injured. And then there's the story that I loved when I read it. I read a story. I don't remember which of the myriad of stories there were about this, but there was like a, a note at the end which said, good news, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, good news for, for Josh Norman. This was a good year where only four people were gored by bulls. <laughs> only. <laughs> only four. Two Americans and two Spaniards. So it was a light year in terms of the bulls' success. And, uh, and, and yeah, and here's Josh Norman leapfrogging. If you, I, I'll put that on my – I'll try to put it on either on Twitter or I'll put it on the, uh, on the Facebook page for people who haven't seen the video. Did you see that the NFL owners' wheels – they want 18 games. They want to expand the NFL season from 16 to 18. They are willing to allow players, if the Players Association insists, to a rule that states every player can only play up to 16. So you'd have to sit at least two, if not more, games. Where I believe that owners want this, fans want this, fantasy football league owners want this, bookies want this, Vegas, everybody wants this except probably – the players. Do you want this? Because I don't want this. Do you want this, Wheels? You don't want it, really. I, I don't want I, I it. I don't want it. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I think with the success and the popularity of the NFL in in just about every you know every category you could uh, you could look at, I would say that uh, it's not surprising that they would want more of a good thing. And I about with this, I think also this would include less preseason games. Correct? I mean, that that'd be one of the ways they'd yeah, make up probably, the total. Is probably yes. And so if that's the case, I mean, I'm always I'm always in favor of less preseason games, but uh, um, but I think it's. Um, that is an interesting idea to make sure that a player doesn't. Uh, so then the players can't say, "Well, you're, you're taxing us more." Although those are weeks of practice, and there's, you know, we'll get into load management in the NFL, like the term that's become popular in the NBA. But, uh, but I think uh, from a uh, so you think maybe the caliber of the foot, football would be well, compromised uh, a little bit well, by stretching it out. Well, I have two thoughts. My two thoughts, and, and people heard Jason Lock and Four on an earlier segment talking about this. My two thoughts are: I agree with him that. What do we want? Do we really want two games with backup quarterbacks playing? We want every team to play two games, and and many of them are going to play backup quarterbacks when the other teams are playing starters, so they're going to stagger. Everybody's going to play their backup quarterbacks in a different game, and so we're going to have games, lopsided games, where one team's playing their starting quarterback and the other team's playing their backup. Uh, It just doesn't feel right to me. That's the first thing. And the second thing I would just say is I, I think we're there. I think we have a sweet spot. I think 16 games works. The the one if you said to me, Mitch, what's the one pro- if you have a problem with the NFL having a 16 game season, what would it be? I would say to you that there's too much there's too much weight on NFL results in terms of injuries. Injuries play too much of a factor already in the outcome of these seasons. The I mean, wheels. How many times does a team 
have a bad season because they lost a player or two or three at critical positions. How often well, is that? I think it, I, yeah, I think in every sport, uh, injuries are always a, a very, But how about uh, the NFL? Uh, the NFL, it's well, much the, yeah, more, there's right? No, there's no question for a sport where you have left games. Anytime you're missing a key player for you know even a handful of games, that, that, that could be yeah. a quarter to potentially half of a season. So, right. uh, so I think that, that, is, that is definitely a, a concern, and I would think that that would be – that would be something that everybody would be would, would certainly be leery about. So so I, I, I can see how I can see the various factions why they would be on whatever side of this that they are. Um, and I don't know how you know logical or how plausible that the whole idea is. But uh, but uh, you know I think nobody seems to feel that moral football is a bad thing. I mean we have it pretty much every day of the week when we get to the, when we get to the season. They've they've done that. So Sunday is not necessarily the sacred day that it used to be. But uh, but having you know, a couple more games. And I think the other thing that, uh, that has to be taken into account is obviously all the NFL records would be, yes. you know, there'd be some asterisks uh, probably because, yes. you know, you've got, you've got seasons that are now longer and, you know, better chances to break records than you would have had with the, with the shorter season. So, so a lot of, a lot of ramifications and things that would have to be worked out. So I presume it's going to be something that's going to warrant a whole lot of additional discussion. Call me an old fuddy duddy. I think 16 games is just right. The porridge, isn't it the porridge? The porridge is too hot, too cold. It's just right. Yeah, I, think, right. I think the 16-game NFL season is just right, and I, I'm with you if we can do away with some of these preseason. They're making all of us who are season ticket holders pay for these pre Full price for these preseason games is, is one of the crimes in professional sports. Did you see where the Angels on Friday night threw a no-hitter as they were honoring their their fallen teammate Tyler Skaggs. Everybody was wearing forty five, and they threw a combined no hitter and put their jerseys. Everybody put their forty fives on the mound at the end of the game. Did you did you see that story? Yeah, yes. that was that was very uh, very classy and certainly uh, a, ter- a terrific a tribute. Uh, I mean that that's something that obviously made for a very difficult week for those guys, but that was their first home game back and a chance to uh, properly uh, honor his memory again. And so uh, I don't know who came up with the idea of, uh, of doing uh, what they did by putting the, the, uh, the jerseys on the mound, but that was uh, a great touch and I think a, a perfect capper on an evening that uh, was uh, yeah. pretty memorable for what happened in the game. And then for those who uh, were big Angels fans and maybe knew something about the players themselves uh, to kind of uh, get uh, another tribute to to uh, Tyler Skaggs, who had a lot of baseball in front of him if uh, this hadn't happened. So so clearly uh, his life taken far too soon, and uh, and I think that was a great way to you know to pay tribute to him in a very, very classy, uh, dignified manner. It's been a heartbreaking couple of weeks in Major League Baseball since his death, and I couldn't agree more. I thought you said it very well. I don't think I can state it any better. It started with his mother throwing out the first pitch, which was beautiful. I know she's a softball coach and been in baseball, around baseball for a long time, brought her son into baseball. She threw a strike right down the middle with her son's jersey on, which was unbelievably emotional. And then to have his teammates come out and throw a no-hitter. It was a wonderful evening, and I say that with great sincerity. I would say that there was only one thing that could have made it better. Wheels, would you like to ask me what that is? Yeah, what was? I mean, it sounded like a perfect evening. Everything you described. One, so what, one thing. Uh, what could have made it better? If they would have done it against somebody, somebody that wasn't a Triple A baseball team. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's amazing that it wasn't really that long ago when everybody got excited about the start to the season. You talk about long seasons, and uh, the start to the season the Mariners had had people. Uh, Quietly optimistic, and uh, these great uh, young players are going to, you know, surprise everybody. And 
Well, unfortunately, that that uh, has not has not happened as the season has gone on. But uh, and that's a rough thing about baseball. If you're not a good team, boy, you got to sure sure seem like you got a whole lot of games still left to be played, and it seems like then the season never ends when you aren't a very good team. But uh, you know, when you're a great team, you probably don't want it to end. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the kind of season the Mariners are having, and this ends up being a, another another night that will not go on their season-ending highlight reel. And we'll finish before you name the show with the Nike decision. Did you hear that Nike has blocked? LeBron James and the Lakers, LeBron was going to give his 23 to AD, I think it was AD, and then he was going to go back to wearing number six, which is where in Miami, that's the jersey, he, the number he wore in Miami, right? He was number six, yeah. and yeah. Nike has said, no, we're not going to let you do this at this at this moment in time because we have so many, we have a surplus of 23 LeBron jerseys, and this will hurt us, this will hurt us from a financial standpoint, until we can move some of these 23 LeBron jerseys, you can't change to six. And I think this is a, a wonderful idea with my tongue-in-cheek from Nike because, I don't know, aren't you going to now run knowing that we're a year away from him switching numbers? Isn't everybody in the world going to run to buy another 23 LeBron <laughs> Uh, another conspiracy theorist uh, uh, action. I think I think you may no, you may have something there. I don't think if they're not if they're not buying LeBron jerseys now, twenty three jerseys now. What's going to what's going to set a fire under our ears to buy twenty three jerseys when we all know that he's changing to number six? Why would anybody want to go buy a twenty three Lakers jersey when we know he is eight months or ten months away from changing to a Lakers number six? Wouldn't we rather wait? And buy the Lakers six jersey wheels? Yeah, I would. I would think so. And I, I still find it hard to believe that a major corporation like Nike, that uh, that does nothing but churn out athletic equipment all the time, that that they could run out of uh, or not not. I mean, not be in a position to move. I mean, can, can we just have a sale at the yeah. Nike employee store here in Portland or something? I mean, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to believe that we couldn't we couldn't do something to move those jerseys and put. Uh, I mean, and, and and maybe LeBron. And this is. You know, Anthony Davis hopefully took it took it well, but you know, you never want to promise a gift that you can't deliver on. And so he he already was telling him that uh, you know I'm giving you 23, I'm wearing six, and then and Nike said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you should check with us first. Uh, uh, that's something that you're not going to be able to deliver on. So so it's uh, it's uh, I guess we see that even a um, uh, you know a stalwart like LeBron and then his uh, status uh, in uh, in basketball and in sports uh, not enough to get him to be able to. Uh, deliver on a nice idea that would have probably made Anthony Davis really, really happy, but I guess it's going to have to wait a year, uh, maybe more for, for it to occur, but I just find it hard to believe that Nike couldn't come up with some way to uh, make this thing make this thing work, so it's a, it's a very puzzling thing. We're not talking about a fly-by-night company that just started a week or so ago, so I can't believe that they can't come up with something that would have appeased everybody, but, you know, Phil Knight, I know, has... Yeah. A whole lot of um, you know dollars in his in his bank account, so I can't believe that they couldn't find a way to do it if it if it meant enough. Maybe since LeBron had a down year last season, they're kind of like, eh, we're not going to bend over backwards for him. I mean, we wins another championship, maybe we'll do it, but uh, you know, he's got to earn back our trust or something because uh-huh. it's very puzzling that the Nike couldn't appease one of their uh, more prominent uh, more prominent. Uh, uh, you know, endorsers, but I guess not. Well, Wills, we have to get you to WWE because the last thing in the world we want is to force you to tape it. 
<laughs> so before well, you- I also, you know, I, I have to tape the, you know, my, my, my favorite team, the Dodgers, playing the Red Sox in a key uh, oh, rubber game of their three games. I, I, I will have to tape that game well, yeah. and watch it later on. And haven't we just taped episode number 48? We just did a great yes, job taping. Have. Tape is a wonderful four- thing. Yes, it's a is. wonderful thing. You get to pick. You want Paul Abbott. You want Lee Guterman. You want Keith Simpson, Donald Jones. You want Jimmy Johnson's number 48 car. You want Tory Hunter, Moose Johnston. Uh, you want Rick Russell? Who do you want? I'm going. I mean, it'll be it'll be unpopular. It probably of all those names, this would have been one that would have been toward the bottom, unless you watched him pitch. Um, he was the guy that gave up the All Star game homer to Bo Jackson, leading off uh, the contest when really gonna Vince Scully was interviewing President Reagan. You know, you're the, supposed uh, to take the best guy, right? You're supposed to name <laughs> the. You're not supposed to go to somebody that you have kind of a connection with. You're supposed <laughs> to pick the most successful 48. Are you really so going to pick Rick? Ru- you're going to get. The, I'm going to pick Rick Russell. <laughs> this may be the last show that we do because of this. We we may have to close up shop. You're really going to pick. You're going to pick Rick Russell over a guy and Jimmy Johnson. And I don't follow NASCAR. A uh, number 48 car who won 85 races? You're going to pick Rick Russell over Jimmy Johnson? Well, I think it was the car that did it. No, that's something that every race car okay. driver would, would vehemently uh, you know, protest. But, uh, but I, uh, I've, seen, I've seen enough of uh, – you remember our old friend, Giles Dowden, is actually yeah. involved in a group that brings a, a race car – uh, event to Portland. Uh, now, they did last year for the first time here for the second year in a row, and so he'll be back here in August to put that together. And, uh, you know, I don't see most of the time, you know, they, they bring some of the drivers to do, you know, do uh, interviews, but, you know, the driver can be the most talented guy in the world, but if the car doesn't cooperate, then uh, they're not going to, they're not going to be, uh, you know, seeing any, uh, uh, okay. Checkered flags at the end of the okay. race. So, right. so I think uh, Rick Russell, a guy who didn't get a lot of exposure and attention outside of Chicago, and that's probably because the Cubs stunk. And it, it'll happen again. I think that uh, okay. that uh, you know people will be as mad as they might have been last week that I took Jack Morris over Tom Glavin. They'll be more upset that I took Rick Russell over probably the field uh, this time around. Well, I'm so upset that I'm not going to do the the tag, which is. Episode Rick Russell is in the books. I refuse to say that. So, so you before your WWE compromise, go you, go, uh, go for my second choice. Then. Uh, no, 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 you're going to do it. No, no, you're going to do it. You're going to do oh, it. I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, how do I how do I close it again? You want to write this down? No, 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 no. I, I know it's episode pen, 48. You got a pen to, and a piece of paper. Say, here's what I, I want. Say episode 48, Rick Russell, or no, 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 no. Here's no. what we're taping right now. And yes, we want- <laughs> no, we're taping again. <laughs> we're taping. And while we tape, I want you to say, if you want to write this down, you can, because I know that you, your memory goes every once in a while. Uh, uh, episode Rick Russell is in the books. Okay. That's it? That's all I have to say? Uh, that's all you have to say. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know if it was like, you know... Uh- um, you know, when you're taking your wedding vows, they kind of go a sense at a time. But, no, but, but that's all that's I have it. to say. That's all you have to okay. say, but you have to do it well. Because I, I, think I've already what, I think I've already forgotten what I was supposed to say. What is it again? Episode, episode 48. Episode Rick Russell, Rick is, Russell. Is, is in, in the, the book. books. Okay. 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 But wait, all right. let me make sure yeah. that we're, hold on. Let me make sure we're taping. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and here's something that we don't have to do anymore, but I, 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 I tend to do it as well. Three, two, <laughs> one. Episode Rick Russell is in the books. Thank you.